The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 108. Police officers in one Indian state are given a slight pay upgrade for having a mustache. Excuse me, meow. Do you know how fast you're going, meow? Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you've been listening way back when we were just in single digits, I want to say thank you for joining us today and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And no matter how many times you've listened, you guys are in luck today because I've got two fantastic guests for you today the authors of one of my favorite travel books, definitely the funniest one I've read in a long time, and guys who are crazy enough to race each other all the way around the world for a bottle of scotch, Steve Healy and Vali Chandrasekharan. I totally messed that up, Vali. I'm so sorry. You even told me how to say it in the beginning. I like it, I like it better. I'm going to start thinking <laughs> that way from now on. Authors of The Ridiculous Race and by day, writers for Modern Family and American Dad. Steve and Vali, thanks so much for joining me today and welcome. Thanks for having us. We're this excited. is exciting. And I just taught these guys how to use Skype. Well, I'll say I just taught Steve how to use Skype, or you figured it out on your own. So I'm excited that you learned how to use Skype enough to get on this podcast, man. It's, this is really uh, it's a good lesson for me. You know, I don't know how I went this far in life without using Skype. I think Vali uses it all the time because his wife is in India sometimes. We use Skype a lot. This seems like a good time in the show for us to plug Skype. <laughs> I want to give my full endorsement to Skype. From our sponsor, Skype. <laughs> it is amazing. You know, you're in Italy, I'm here, whatever. It's crazy. It is awesome. And guys, before we really dive in, I got to say that I was on the edge of my seat for the entire book, not because I wanted to know who won, but I was hoping that Volley would reveal what small northern Pennsylvania town he was from, because when he first said in the beginning of the book... You didn't actually say what town you were from. And then uh, like seven pages from the end, you mentioned you were from Sare in Pennsylvania. Yes. Do you know Sare? Well, my wife, surprisingly enough, is from Montrose, Pennsylvania, which is... Really? Yeah. If, if you guys don't know, which I don't know why you would, it's about an hour away by car. Play, I, we would play Montrose. My high school would play Montrose every year. They were, they were a powerhouse. They were pretty good. It was like one of those tiny rural schools where they were really good at all their sports. They had a great cross-country team. I think they didn't have a football team, so their soccer team was really good. Yeah, the Montrose Meteors, man. How can you go wrong with a nickname like that? They were called the Meteors? I think so. Awesome. The Meteors, the Meteors. One of our other high school teams was the Williamsport Millionaires because it was, a big, millionaires. It was a big logging community and like loggers were millionaires. <laughs> that That's awesome. <laughs> what, was your, what was your... We were the Wildcats. We were so uninterested. Where are you from, Travis? I am from outside of Philadelphia, so about 45 minutes northwest of Philadelphia, so not up in What's the boonies. Uh, I lived in a town called Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Collegeville. And okay. what was the, the mask? There's college. a college there, guys, believe it or not. A tiny oh. college called Ursinus College. But the uh, the mascot was the Warriors. So again, nothing cool like the Meteors. The Warriors. Yeah. No. 
So anyway, I, I was on the edge of my seat, Volley. Just I was hoping beyond hope that you would say Montrose, Pennsylvania. If that had happened, man, the stars would have aligned there for sure. <laughs> I want you guys to talk about the ridiculous race. Before we jump into it, can you guys give a little bit of background to the story, to the actual ridiculous? How long before the race did you have the idea? How did it come about? You know, all were you travelers before this? What gave you the idea that you were going to race each other around the world? What happened was Volley and I were living in Los Angeles, like several houses down the street from each other, neighbors. And we were young and we weren't married or anything and didn't have anything to do except after work, get together and sit in Bali, the hot tub of Bali's apartment complex and drink about 15 beers. And uh, we're the only people who ever use that hot tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we would sit in the hot tub drinking beers and coming up with stupid ideas and we came up with the idea of having a race around the world without using airplanes. And then we were like, okay, this is pretty cool idea. That'd be fun to do. We should get someone to pay us to do it. And then we were like, well, if we wrote a book about it, maybe we could get an advance from a publisher and they would pay, they would foot the bill basically. And so we wrote up a book proposal and to our surprise, people were interested in it and we sold the book and went and did it. Actually, we should yeah, tell about the, the book proposal. Was, you know, it was one of those things. It was literally sitting around drinking and having an idea. And for whatever reason, because of where we are in our lives, we decided to follow through with it. And I think the book proposal was the moment it felt like, oh, wait, this will actually be very fun. And maybe we'd be able to pull it off because we didn't know how to there was no pages to give a publisher before we actually did the race. So we, we needed to show that we could have an adventure and be funny about it. So the idea that we had was we would plan a weekend for each other without letting the other guy know what was going on. So like I bought tickets for Steve. I packed his bags. The only rule is he has to leave after work on Friday and be back in time for work on Monday. And he did the same for me. That morning, that Friday morning, we went to each other's house. We gave each other envelope and a packed suitcase. And after you opened the envelope and you found out where you had to go, I remember opening my envelope up and Steve had broken my my trip up into a bunch of stages. In the very first one, I don't know if you remember this, you said, Bali, my plan for the intensity weekend is this. And that was the first time I had heard the phrase intensity weekend. <laughs> I thought it was called intensity weekend. <laughs> we had never talked about intensity weekend. And so Steve, Steve did something which was pretty great, which is I never knew what I was doing more than, you know, a couple hours in advance. So I had stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five. So all I knew at the beginning was I had to go to Alaska Airlines and get on a flight to Alaska. But I didn't know what I was doing in Alaska until I got there. It was very, very fun. And I think I, I sent Steve to Cuba. Okay. But I had a very detailed plan for Bali. It, he was going to Alaska and he was going to take dog sledding lessons. That was the bulk of it. But there was also like, I told him where to eat and like how to have conversation and like different people, little missions he had to accomplish every couple hours. I just opened my envelope and it just says, you're going to Cuba. And there's like some forged, he forged my signature <laughs> on some documents from like the treasury department. So it claimed that I was making a documentary or something. So I flew like on a legal charter flight from Miami to Havana and I would just had 24 hours in Cuba, which is like 
one of the awesomest things I've ever done in my life. It was so cool and weird and terrifying and fun. I remember at that time, I was thinking, I don't know how we're going to get Steve into Cuba. And I called the Treasury Department is the one that actually maintains the travel ban because it's the law is technically you can't spend money in Cuba. So I, <laughs> at that point, I called the U.S. Treasury Department. I don't know how I got this phone number or anything. And I, I said, I my friend is going to Cuba and he works for a TV show and he might write something about Cuba in the future. And I said, does that allow him to qualify for this research visa? And they said, well, you self-apply that visa. You decide yourself if you qualify for that visa. So, yes, it does. Yeah. So and then I said, okay, now will he get in trouble? And they said, you have to decide yourself if it's okay. And then I said, it sounds to me like you guys don't care if people go to Cuba or not. And there was a pause and she just goes, we don't care. (laughs) That's not important. But I think, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they've sort of gotten more intense about people traveling to Cuba. There was when I got my, when I was in the Miami airport and I was checking into the charter flight, it's like, if you're a Cuban and you live in the States, you're allowed to go back to Cuba every two years or so. So there are flights like legal flights from the States to Cuba. But it's white person, you know, a guy like me is not the typical passenger. So I was checking in for my flight and there's an official there like looking at all your paperwork. And the guy is like, you need a license from the Treasury Department. And I had all this other garbage, like an application for that, whatever. And I just didn't have it. And I, he was like, you need a license, an official license from the Treasury Department. And he looks through my page. I've just like, put as many papers down in, in an effort to continue. It's amazing that my crack legal team <laughs> did not get all your papers in order. And then finally the dude just sort of like, he's just like, eh, I'm pretty sure I saw it in there. And he just let me get on the phone. <laughs> like he, he, whatever I was doing, he didn't care about it. <laughs> I think the best part of when I was in Alaska is the very last stage, which was on Sunday morning. I opened it up the envelope and Steve instructed me to go to Alaska's largest indoor water park. And I went downstairs and there was a taxi waiting for me. You know, I get in the car with the driver and I'm talking to him. He's asking me about why I'm in Alaska. And I said, no, my my friend and I are doing this trip. And he's being very cool about it. And then he asked me where we're going. And I tell him, you know, I'm at that point, 25 years old, by myself, going to a water park on Sunday morning. And this guy was like, you sick weirdo. <laughs> what lies are you are you coming up with? And I get inside there, and it's just me and an eight-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of parents just looking at me and like, what? They're like, what? Like, literally not wanting their kids to go on the water slides because I'm there. It's, they were so upset with me. I wasn't obviously committing any sort of crime, but everyone wanted me out of there. And adults alone at a water park should just be a crime. Oh my you God. You should be in jail for that. And you had to go the major water slide. You went down on one of these like sort of figure eight joined inner tubes. So you were supposed to go down two at a time. <laughs> so I had to try and get some like eight year old kid to go down with me. You it, did? I yeah, didn't know that. It did not. No, I mean, eventually I by the time I got up there I was I lost my cool and I was like I can't do this. like a dumb weird Alaskan dad is gonna slit my throat <laughs> so so you guys took those stories then because that is hilarious and obviously that that doesn't make it into the book you no that says not all of this said nothing to do with the book we just did all that stuff and then we wrote that up 
by way of two publishers being like, this is what we're all about. This is the kind of funny stuff we're going to do. If you give us some money, we'll go around the world and do stuff like that. Hopefully we'll find equivalent adventures in different places and write them up and you know, we're idiots, so something something funny will happen, I, mean, I think was the idea. It was proof of concept, basically. Yeah. And, and for your listeners or whatever, I would highly suggest this worked out great for us. It, was, it wasn't our idea to do it. It was the idea of a book agent that we got in touch with who was like, you guys should do some kind of like little demonstration. And I would, to anybody who's listening who wants to do stuff like this, I'd highly recommend like, if you do a little demonstration of whatever it is you're trying to do, and then you can present that to people, it's a lot easier for them to get behind like your bigger ask. Totally. It seems so obvious now thinking about it, but the agent was basically saying, stop explaining it. Just do a small version of it. Actually do the work to yeah. prove that you'll get it done. And it was really fun. You know, when I first started reading, I thought, all right, well, these guys are writers by profession, but you know, they were younger, they're 25. They got this book advanced to make a book. That's so cool. Wouldn't it be neat if I did that? But how the heck would I do it? How'd they pull it off? You know, and I think that that lends a really good light to whatever anyone's trying to do, really, whether it's write a book, make a, make a video, make a film, uh, you know, go out, do it. And then of course, go on from there and let people know, you know, and show them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody in the world, I assume wants to write a travel book, right? Yeah. yeah that's that's right. The, best, <laughs> the best thing we've done. Uh, also, you guys, uh, you guys wrote it. You tell us. This, it was, I think, at least for me, it was us figuring out what it was we were going to do because I think we had an idea of what the book would be, but you know, we hadn't done it before. Yeah. yeah and yeah. we were young enough then to not think so hard about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think now if we tried to do something like that, we're more aware of the challenges that would be involved and we might all uh, almost talk ourselves out. Of yes. It or something. Our stupidity and ignorance was a great advantage. <laughs> and so before this, had you guys had much traveling experience or was this like, hey, this is going to be a travel book for people who have never really done much before? Because you just throw yourself into it. I think we try. I mean, my parents are from India, and I used to go spend my summer vacations there every couple of years, and we would travel a lot uh, around India seeing family. And yeah, after college, I would do a little bit of traveling, but certainly nothing. You know, we were gone for months at this time. It was it, it was a much bigger endeavor and a much more much more on your own too. I mean I don't think I'd ever been by myself for more than three or four days while traveling beforehand. And now this was except for meeting up with Steve in the middle, we were, you know, six weeks or two months or something that we yeah. were just by by ourselves. It was a very I had traveled uh, but it was a very different beast than any other experience, travel experience I'd ever had before. You had done Let's Go, right? Like, didn't you yeah, do a travel guide? I'd for? been to Ireland. I traveled around Ireland for about two months. So I had been away alone, alone for that much time. But, but moving this fast and going to this many places and, you know, I'd never been anywhere where they couldn't speak English. That wasn't news to me. You know, the first place I ended up was China on this trip. And it was, it was intense. And one of the cool things is you guys take, obviously, all types of forms of transportation because you can't take airplanes. And Vali, you actually, your first mission is to go get a jetpack. And Steve, you hop on a container ship for 14 days across the Pacific. How sketched out was your plan beforehand? Or was it really just totally free-flowing? I'm going to 
figure it out as I go. I pretty much knew what I needed to do because the rules of the race were you had to go all the way around the world without using airplanes. And I was assigned, we figured it out that I was going to go west and Bali was going to go east. So I knew pretty well the path that I had to take was first I had to get across the Pacific. So I arranged to be a passenger in a container ship. And then I knew that I would take the Trans-Siberian Railroad. Russia covers about a quarter of the surface of the earth and there's this train that goes all the way across it. So if you want to get across the earth fast, that's the way to do it. If you can't use airplanes. So I knew I would do that. So I basically had the route pretty well planned out. And in fact, if you're going around the world, this is the only, if if your goal is to go around the world horizontally in a hurry, this is the way you would do it. So I kind of figured Bali would do some version of the same route because that's the logical. (laughs) When we submitted our book proposal, Steve did not know this, but I submitted a separate page that just said, I know we're just traveling around the world without using airplanes, but Steve doesn't know this, but I'm not going to do that. I think that sounds boring and stupid. (laughs) And I'm going to take airplanes and see a bunch of places and it'll be fun. And there, there's a, a big part of it was as we were looking into it, we realized that there is kind of only that one path around the world. And it's really hard to tell who's winning a race if you're going in opposite directions around the world. Like, how do you know if I'm in the middle of the Pacific and Steve is in the middle of the Atlantic? Like, who's ahead? There's kind of no tension in that yeah. in that race. And I was a little bit worried that I'm going to end up in Shanghai. I mean, we both ended up we're in Shanghai, but like we're both going to be in the same places all the time. Like I will get there first and then Steve will show up there at the end of the race. And how how exciting would that be? And plus, our characters in the book were sort of exaggerated versions of what we ourselves think is funny. And Steve, Steve, I, I think I could characterize you as finding the character of the old British explorer, particularly <laughs> hilarious. Yes. And I find the character of the Danny McBride buffoon (laughs) very funny. And I think we both kind of, for comic effect or whatever, pushed ourselves in those directions and planned the trip in that way. But as far as how much we had figured out, we had to make our decisions very quick, I remember. I think we sold the book and about two and a half weeks later we had to leave to go on the trip because we were doing this. We were both working at the time. And on a TV show, you often have about two months off between seasons. And we had to do the whole trip during that two months or three months. So I remember we sold the book and then just frantically not being able to sleep and just having this horrible anxiety, wondering if we'd be able to pull this off because we were now contractually obligated to fulfill this trip. Yeah. Trying to just like get a bunch of major tent poles in place, knowing, okay, I know by the time I get to Cambodia, I'll be able to do that. And that's interesting. Or in Shanghai, this is going to be interesting. And hopefully I think there'll be some funny stuff there, but it was Pretty free for all, I think, in a lot of like if, a lot if, of ways. If my parents are going, who live in Boston, are going to Cape Cod, they'll probably start playing it three months in advance. <laughs> yeah, we had to plan a trip around the world with everything that entails vaccines and visas and all that nonsense in about like two or three weeks. Oh, absolutely! And I remember in some cases 
like the night before, like reading a hundred pages about where I'm yeah, yeah. trying to figure out where I am and what we're, what I'm going to do. Yeah. I was like, you get to Moscow and be like, okay, what is, what's in Moscow? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there was, because we, Steve and I were apart and we had, we had gotten Iridium satellite foes to give us these satellite foes to try and communicate with each other. But it wasn't very, they let them let us use them for free, but it wasn't super useful because you have to have a clear shot to the sky, basically. So when you're in the middle of Mexico and you have a gigantic, what looks like a weird <laughs> spot, and I'm standing in the middle of the street screaming in English, it just immediately became clear just that's not a way put a to murder. Yeah, that's not a way to survive. So we stopped communicating. So we couldn't even like tell in veiled ways what the other guy was up to. So you're always, every night I remember thinking, oh, Steve is probably doing something amazing right now. I have to do, so. I have to come up with something better to do for tomorrow. You know, actually, now that I think about it, this trip, we did it in 2007, right? And it would be dramatically different now just because of the rise of smartphones. Smartphones and the internet and all, all that. I, yeah, because you're saying it and we're, I'm thinking, well, you know, they could hop online, they could get email, which... As funny as it sounds, that was only seven and a half years ago, but you couldn't really do that. No, I, I think no, I had a Blackberry with me, but you... I had the equivalent of like a flip phone. Yeah. I think what you're calling for is sort of like a riding the Iron Rooster style remake of the Ridiculous Yeah, Race. I think it's. I think the world is ready. Yeah, I think about every eight years, people want another one. Which, by, by the way, to your listeners, I would say that like a, a takeaway from this for me is like that kind of traveling where you just show up in a place and then you figure it out. There's something to that. Like, don't you don't have to overthink it and over plan everything if you are just like i'm dying to go to thailand I, thailand seems cool and then you fly to thailand and then you're like when i get to bangkok i will figure it out it's not the worst way to travel in the world absolutely i mean just think of any time you've been in a city where you accidentally walked into a bar and had a great night and i think a big part of that night being fantastic is the accident of it like yeah. you, did, you had no idea what was going to happen and I think we allowed ourselves a lot of that sort of stuff because we just were hoping for weird things to happen to us. And if you plan a lot, you end up doing, it's like the let's goification of travel or the yeah, only yeah, clarification yeah. of travel. You end up going to a lot of the same stuff that a lot of other people do because <laughs> you get swayed by interesting descriptions in those books. This is a total digression, by the way, but I think it's kind of interesting. Did you see the, so the Ebola guy in New York, the doctor that had Ebola? Yeah. The New York Times printed like a map and like his itinerary of everything he did for two days uh-huh. when he got, he, you know, he had been in Liberia or whatever. He gets back to New York and here's because they're like, here, you might want to avoid these places if you're afraid of Ebola and health officials. But it, his day was like a spectacular day in New York. Oh, really? Yeah, he walked on the High Line and then he went down and he got a meatball sub <laughs> and then he went and met some friends at a bar and they're listing it as like, you know, we're monitoring this, 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 but it, it would actually be a great day. It's like a itinerary to tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the perfect 24 hours in New York itinerary by the Ebola doctor. I found in all my traveling, whenever I go to a place, if you meet somebody who is just been there for a little while or who's just come from there and you ask them what to do, it's way better than, you know, going through your lonely planet and highlighting everything. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear you say that. I think that most people who are listening want to travel that way. And a lot of people are looking for that spontaneous, fun, as as Vali said, accidental travel. And and it does happen when you when you don't plan it. But for you guys, was it tough because you also knew that you were going to have to write about stuff. Like there was the other part of 
well, yeah, I can tell a funny story, but there has to be some sort of story to it. That must have been hard because uh, you, you did a very good job in the book at taking mundane, boring things, saying they're mundane and boring, but spinning them to be you know, humorous in the book. But how much of a conflict was that in your heads of thinking, oh man, something better happen or what am I going to write about this whole trip to Moscow? Yeah, you know, there, there is a, when you're writing a book or like you're using your travel experiences and you're there and you know that you're going to use it somehow, it, it can create a weird effect where you're like, okay, you know, you start thinking about yourself and becoming self-conscious a little bit. That's the downside. The positive side is it might force you to do stuff that you, you'd be like, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm so tired. I just want to stay in bed all day in the hotel and have a rest day. But ah, oh, I know that I have to go shoot guns with this guy that I met yesterday or whatever interesting thing. I have to do it. Hopefully, that's the effect it had on us, not making us into jerks who are, you know, trying to overthink the situation. Instead, it forced us to be the most interesting and engaged as we could possibly be. I think that's true. I think that my biggest memory of that trip, of like physical memory, is I was so tired the whole time because you knew most of the stuff that happened would be too boring. So you just had to try and keep doing stuff all of the time, hoping that in any two days, one thing would be worth one thing would spark something that would be worth reporting. It's also, it was, it's kind of fun to travel like that because then some, if you think about travel in this way, and this applies even if you're not writing a book or whatever, but like something bad happens or annoying happens. Like I was detained for hours at the China-Russia border. Now, if you're just in a hurry to go to China, that's all you're doing, then you're miserable about it. But if you're like, well, I'm going to recount this adventure, so let's pay attention <laughs> to what's happening and who's this weird guy. And, you know, you, if you... Turn everything that's happening, if you think about it as an adventure, it makes life a little more fun. I think that's true. I think that it is funny. I think at one point when I was I was in Jordan and I went into the West Bank, I and as soon as I crossed the bridge, the bridge closed. If I had just been on vacation, I would have been like, what's going on? My stuff is over in, in the this other country. I don't know what to do. I would have panicked. But at least what knowing I was going to write about it, I remember thinking like, oh, this is good. This is going to be horrible. <laughs> That's this truly awful. And that will hopefully be funny for yeah. a reader. Even like I got, I went to the uh, Peking Opera, this like traditional, you know, kind of terrible art form they have in Beijing. <laughs> and I got horrifying food poisoning because oh, before yeah. going, I'd been eating duck feet at a restaurant and so I was like barfing all over the place and like even while I was barfing and sick to my stomach I'm like oh this will be funny to turn it down later yeah. <laughs> as a good lesson for life I guess yeah yeah it's crazy because most of the guests that come on and we ask them you know what was your craziest mishap or adventure and for you guys the whole book kind of recounts that and you've already talked about some, but it's always those adventures. And it's like when I got stuck in Singapore or when my wife crashed her motorbike, we had to go to the emergency room. Now, you know, that wasn't super funny at the time, although I did think this is going to make a good article. It's those type of experiences that you rem remember versus kind of, oh, that was a really fun day. You know, that, that kind of, the edges kind of blur on those days, but they're really sharp on the days where something crazy happened because you are taking it in the whole time. You're thinking, how am I going to get out of this or what's going to happen to this or that? And I think that kind of imprints itself on it, on your brain much more. And if you're writing a book, that's always helpful. Yeah. Getting lost is always like if you're in some weird city and you get lost, it's just going to be more interesting than right. going to the Louvre or whatever. Yeah. I mean, think about a great vacation day will be 
you know, waking up in Paris and having a croissant and going for a nice walk. (laughs) And if someone wrote that in a book, you'd be like, why are you wasting your time? My time, (laughs) (laughs) This is so uninteresting. On the flip side, though, sometimes I feel like sometimes I'm reading a travel book. I read a lot of them and I'm into them. But like, sometimes I'm like, well, you're that who decided to go yeah, that's there. True. Like, why are you, you can't, you can't be like, I'm writing a book about my trip to Uzbekistan and I, Uzbekistan sucks. Like, anybody, whenever those guys complain, I'm like, who told you to go to Uzbekistan? That's true. You can work at Home Depot like everybody else. Like, Paul, Paul, in all Paul Theroux's books, he's like, he's on the train in Australia and he's like, oh, I hated everyone on the train. It's like, you like, why did you go on the train? Like, I'm sure you're at the light. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, they're tickled to have you around. Yeah. You screaming about Miserable guy <laughs> scribbling this notebook. Yeah. Wondering why his wife isn't around <laughs> when he goes home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was away for four years, and I returned home to find my wife had moved out. <laughs> I, can't, I couldn't believe her insolence. Yeah. So just to bring your readers up to speed, if they don't know what we're talking about, Paul Theroux is like this famous American travel writer. Well, a book he wrote, a great book, he, he really opened up the whole genre of travel writing. He wrote this book called The Great Railway Bazaar, where he just rode trains all over the world. Terrific. We all owe a huge debt to him. That yeah. being said. <laughs> like, basically reinvented the idea of travel writing. It was a huge bestseller. People loved it. No one had written books like this before but like then he in his next book he complains that his wife left him and it's like wait a second you had a wife like what what were you doing going off and riding trains all over the world by yourself I think your wife and like a two year old child yeah and kids yeah he left his wife and kids at home and then he took off riding around on the train (laughs) yeah which is it's funny because we we just did an episode on that that have just released when you guys will come out about the our favorite travel books and I mentioned the ridiculous race on it and how funny it was and my buddy who was doing it with me we both had the same take on Thoreau and it was I'm really glad that you wrote the books that you wrote but sometimes it is so condescending and and you sit there and you think why is this guy even doing what he's doing because he seems to (laughs) dislike everything that's happening to him well now his nephew is married to Jennifer Anderson yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like he fits a little bit into that that British adventurer mold where you come back and you put on a three piece suit and go to your club and like show <laughs> show your slides of the savages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think that he he's in that tradition a little bit. What were other What are other travel books that you liked? What, yeah, what I'd love to hear that. Yeah, a few oh, that okay. I re- mentioned before were the British adventurers, but the modern day British adventurers. One by Jason Lewis who was the guy who circumnavigated the globe in 12 years using only pedal power. So he has a series called The Expedition, which was really good. Another really interesting one that I mentioned was Leon McCarran is a British adventurer, but he's a younger guy. He's I think he's 28 now. And he just writes about biking across the US, which seems very mundane compared to a lot of the other adventures he's done. But it's fascinating, his take on it, because it is truly an adventure that anyone could get out and do. And it's kind of interesting, his take on that, because it was his first real adventure versus, as we mentioned before this podcast, you know, pulling a sled through the desert and things like that. It was a, it was a pretty cool book because it's a mund- quote unquote mundane adventure that he talks about, you know, coming of age and things like that. So pretty, pretty cool book there. I would say I've had experiences like in weird towns in California that are two hours away from here that are as bizarre and strange as like anything that happened in Mongolia. Absolutely. I mean, it's weird 
this is not particularly funny or interest or new, but travel is a weirdly internal experience, right? Yeah. You kind of go to another place to just make your, and the best part of it, uh, often thinking about your life, your own life back home in a different way. The whole point of it is to pay attention, like travel forces you to pay attention. You're like what is going on? Where, why is this person doing this? How do I eat this food? You know? And like, you can do that. If you were a really cool person, you would just be doing that every day. All <laughs> yes. <laughs> just in, you know, your own life. And to that end, it drives me crazy when people go on these sort of high end travel, like where like they, they hire a travel company to curate an entire trip. And then they pick the hotel and every single experience the whole time. And it feels comfortable the entire time. I always think you don't, you're not, ever feeling lost and you're not ever noticing anything new because everything feels so much at home and you know that this person with you this guide the whole time is going to make sure everything's fine i feel like those people come back from their travel having just watched an anthony bourdain show or something like that like i don't feel like they've noticed anything that new i don't understand why you would spend all that money to go to africa and then not be able to wing every single bit out of that time and experience. Yeah, the whole point is to like feel alive, right? If you manage to put yourself in like a, essentially a sealed container. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and on that note, I I do think I think there's no wrong way to travel quote unquote except if you're looking for more authentic experiences, you have to make yourself uncomfortable. And that's what you guys did during this trip. You said I'm going to go. We don't have many plans. We're just going to wing it. It is a race, but really we're going around the world. That's our goal and and to have fun doing it. And and out of that came a whole book and and some crazy adventures whereas if you had done it on airplanes or if you had done it, you know, somehow in a group tour, what could you have even written about? I mean, you would have had a few anecdotes here and there, but really the whole trip like you mentioned is kind of it's kind of antiseptic, I guess. Antiseptic is a good word for it, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. On, the, on the flip side to that, though, like how lame is it if a guy is just like, I just want to go on a nice vacation with my wife or something, and his friend is like, you need to like, you must go to the, the garbage town neighborhood and <laughs> truly sniff the garbage or you have no experience. That's true. I, and I would say, if that for that guy, I would say, don't go to India and stay in only five-star hotels and have a, a guy manage the entire trip. If you want to have a nice vacation, go to Hawaii. Yeah, like yeah, go yeah. if you're gonna go to India, experience India. Yeah, really like get super frustrated and and w- want to scream at somebody <laughs> at some point because that's what being in India is like, and that is part of the experience. Yeah, think about yeah. what you're doing. Might be the moral of the story. Yeah, not that we were good at that. No. <laughs> Because we had so much fun with the interview with Steve and Volley, and because they brought us so much great information, we have actually split the interview up into two pieces. So if you love the interview that we're doing today, make sure to check out part two of our interview with them, where they talk about some cool things like what was the most surprising part about their trip? Was it really a race? And how hard were they trying to actually win the race? How they decided on what the final prize would be at the end? And the big event that happened that for most people in the industry was a very bad thing, but for them actually helped them finish their book. So all of that will be in part two of our interview with Steve and Volley. You can get that on iTunes. Of course, you can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can also get the show notes for this episode and for part two at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash 
slash pods. And of course, I'm going to urge you, if you like the stories that they were telling today, and they were quite hilarious, I love the stuff that they were mentioning that never even made it into the book. Definitely check out their book, The Ridiculous Race. We will have that linked in the show notes. Of course, you can get that on Amazon as well. Also, don't forget, registration for Frequent Flyer Bootcamp is now open, but it is filling up quick. We are only taking the first 30 people, and it does end on Friday, November 14th at midnight. So if you're someone who has been sitting there and you've been listening to a lot of our guests who have been coming on, you're dreaming of traveling more, but you always thought it was too expensive, just like I did three years ago, this course is going to teach you every single secret that I use to fly anywhere in the world for under $100. That is no joke. That is serious talk. Under $100, me and Heather fly anywhere that we want in the world. Over 100 students have gone through the course. The trips they're taking are absolutely crazy. If you listen to the earlier podcast episode this week, with Tiffany and Chris. They were members of the first Frequent Fire Boot Camp. They are now on a year-long, one-year, round-the-world honeymoon. They paid $60 for flights to Fiji. They paid $30 for flights to New Zealand, which are two of the most expensive places in the world to fly to. That is all in Frequent Fire Boot Camp, as well as membership to our private Facebook group where we all share tips and tricks and things like that. And also, of course, you have live question and answer sessions with me so you can get any of your questions answered when it comes to frequent fire miles, how to use them, how to redeem them, and basically how to travel around the world for almost free. As a podcast listener, I am also making you a special audio file, which the only way you can get it is if you sign up for bootcamp through a certain link so that I know you're a podcast listener. So that is extrapackofpeanuts.com slash ffbootcamp. So if you are interested in Frequent Fire Bootcamp, go check that out. All the information is there. You can sign up on that page, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash ffbootcamp. I look forward to whipping you in to Frequent Flyer shape. And as always, guys, thank you so much for the support, especially last week, for making us a top 100 podcast in the world. I cannot thank you enough. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening today and for all the support last week and the ongoing support as well. That's all for today. And until tomorrow, happy free travels.